Well, this morning we're going to continue through the book of Mark. If you haven't been with us, we have since uh, April been working through the book of Mark on Sunday mornings, and it's been a great journey, and we'll be in chapter 5, starting in verse 21 this morning. And um, two weeks ago, we, we read the story of Jesus' disciples getting in the boat and Jesus falling asleep, and they headed across the Sea of Galilee, and this massive storm hits, and, uh, um, and the disciples learned to fear a great fear, a fear that was much bigger than the storm, the recognition that, that the Son of God was actually in the boat with them. And last week, John Richardson uh, taught us about the, the demon-possessed man who, uh, who Jesus, when he landed upon the shore of the, of the lake, this man comes out of, out of the tombs, and there's this really awkward interaction, and Jesus cast this unclean spirit out and, and set this man free, and, uh, and the man went around uh, in the Decop- Decapolis, the, the area of, of where all this happened, and he shared all about what Jesus had, had been done. Well, this week, we're going to see and experience two amazing people who went to extraordinary lengths to get access to Jesus in the midst of a massive crowd. And both last week and this week take us to a place that, for me, is kind of awkward. It's a little, it's a little uncomfortable. Uh, I think we try to keep Jesus in our safe box, and, and that's not possible to keep him in our, in our safe box. Uh, we try to stay comfortable. And today, as we will see, these two people in this story are rewarded with their, for their faith and their persistence, their perseverance. And they're in their tenacity to get to Jesus, uh, to pursue Jesus, they get a miraculous outcome. And if they hadn't have gone uh, in tenacity and boldness, they never would have gotten the outcome that, that we're going to read about. Their faith was on full display. Well, this morning I want to be completely transparent with you, um, as if I haven't been before, but I'll continue to be uh, this morning's story unnerves me. It, um, it's one of these stories where, where it challenges and it pushes against where I'm at. Uh, I don't know what to do with it. It doesn't, it doesn't fit the logic of, of my brain. It, it messes with me. And so let me, let me kind of explain what I mean by, by this. You know, on one hand, I want to be a man of faith uh, who, who prays for God to intervene in situations that, that really require a miracle. They co- require for God to step in and do something that if he doesn't, uh, we'll, we'll be in trouble. And, and that's my heart on one hand. But on the other hand, I get in this situation where, where I don't trust God enough to step out and ask him to do those kind of things. I, I think you understand where I'm going with this. I, I struggle to know whether to pray for a miracle or, or just let God be God. And this story is going to push hard into us in that, in that tension. It's really been humbling the last 14 or so days as I have, have lived in these, in these stories to see what's reflected of my heart, my own, um, my own lack of trust in, in who Jesus is. And I'm, I'm, ashamed, I'm ashamed to admit uh, my lack of faith before the Lord and, and then... And, really, uh, you guys, uh, as I compare myself to these people we're going to read about this morning. But it's interesting because I, I haven't always been scared to step out in faith. Um, 
I have three college degrees, three, and one of them is from Oral Roberts University. And so I know what that stirs up in some of your minds. Uh, and hopefully, hopefully, <laughs> by now, my tenure and my character help temper that concern. But um, when, I, when I was at Oral Roberts University, which is the, the university that Oral Roberts founded, and if you don't know anything about Oral Roberts, he was a healing evangelist who traveled around the United States and the whole world praying for people who were sick. And he ended up starting a university my grandmother was a big fan. Uh, I wasn't raised in, in a, a church family like this. And so one of the few places I knew uh, about God was through Oral Roberts and watching him on TV with my grandmother. And so I ended up being a, a student at the university. And I went on a mission trip to Trinidad. And while we were, were there, our team, we prayed for a lot of people. And I saw some miraculous answers to prayer. And, and I thought that as I came back home and as I navigated that, that I would live that out. But when I, when I got back home and when I had graduated and, uh, and then moved back to Anderson, Indiana, where, where I was, was raised, um, my little sister came down with cancer. And it was a, in a very, very aggressive form of cancer. And we prayed for a miracle for my sister because her life really depended upon it. And the pain she experienced was was a horrible thing to, to watch and to be part of, and, and then God let her life here on, on earth end. She, she died. And I was really, really confused. These two worlds, the world that I'd come and been experienced um, in this context of people who prayed for miracles, and then, and then the world of suffering where God didn't seem to answer, they, they, were, they were bouncing against each other, and I was confused. We prayed for a miracle, but the miracle we wanted didn't happen. And so for some time after that, for some time after that, I, I didn't trust God with much. My understanding of God wasn't holding water. What, what I had put together uh, in, in my heart of who God was just wasn't, it wasn't working. And I struggled spending any time with God. I struggled reading my Bible. I struggled coming to church. And really, I was just wondering, and to be honest, what's the point? And it was a dark time. It was a dark time in my life. And, and I don't know, most of you have, have been around long enough. You've struggled with situations like this um, where, where we have these circumstances where God seems to be silent and not act. And there's this tension that's hard to talk about. It's hard to understand. And so with, with all that in mind and kind of setting up this morning's story, as we re read the text this morning, I want to ask you to do something that I don't think we normally do. And here's what I want to ask you to do. As we read through the scripture this morning, I want you to pretend that you were there. That, that we're not just reading about it, but you were actually in the midst of, of what was happening. And I want you to ask some questions as, as I read through it. And it's questions like this. If you were in the story, who would you most associate with? Would you be a person of faith or would you just be a bystander? How would you be feeling? Who of all the people we're going to read about would you most likely be involved with? Where would you be standing? What would you be thinking? What would you say? Would you be bold enough to stand up against those who are laughing at what was going on? I want you to jump in it like you're really there and we're not just reading it. So let's get going. Let's see, let's see where it takes us. Uh, Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 21. Here we go. 
When Jesus had again crossed over by the boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. So uh, taking off from the story last week where Jesus had had, uh, delivered this man from this unclean demonic spirit, the people there had asked Jesus, get out of here. We really don't want you here. You make us uncomfortable. So he and his disciples get back in the boat and they head across the lake again. Fortunately, no no storms this time. And when they land on the shore, there's this massive crowd that gathers around him. So that's, that's the setting. Let's keep going, starting in verse 22. Then one of the synagogue rulers, named Jairus, came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet, and he pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him, and a large crowd followed and pressed around him. So we have this synagogue ruler. His name is Jairus. And, and Jairus would, would have been the lay person who would have overseen the, the local synagogue. His responsibilities would be scheduling the meetings that happened during the week, uh, the school that would have happened there. He would have been over charge of, of, of that, the upkeep of the facilities. And, and he would have been a very influential person in the community, most likely very wealthy. It would have been similar to being the president of the, of the local Jewish worshiping community here today. And so Jairus, this synagogue ruler, he sees Jesus in the midst of this massive crowd around him, and he comes and he falls at Jesus' feet. He humbles himself before Jesus publicly in front of all the people of the community there. Um, this would have been a bold, a bold thing to do, especially in front of the religious leaders who, who were not real comfortable with what Jesus was doing and, and where he was pushing them. But not only does Jairus fall at the feet of Jesus, he pleads earnestly with Jesus. There's, there's this sense of begging Jesus on his knees. Uh, there's this, this emotional outpouring. He's, Jairus is desperate. He's desperate for help. And he realizes that his little daughter, and as we'll find out as the story goes on, who's only 12 years old, is dying. We don't know the story of, of the specifics um, but it must have been pretty bad for Jairus to step out and to, and to show this kind of humility and fall before Jesus. And here's what Jairus says to Jesus. Here's what comes out of his mouth. Please come and put your hands on her. Please come and put your hands on her. What Jairus was asking Jesus in the midst of this crowd was, I would like for you to come to my house and I would like for you to touch my daughter. Putting hands on her was a way that Jairus understood that Jesus made people well. Whether he'd seen Jesus do that in the past or not, we don't really know. But Jesus, but Jairus um, had this understanding that, that something would happen if he could just get Jesus and his daughter connected. And then he continued and he said this, Jairus to Jesus. He says, put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Jairus seems pretty confident in Jesus' authority over sickness, which is just amazing to me. There's no doubt in Jairus' plea as to whether Jesus would, could or would do this. He, he has this amazing faith. Where did that come from? So Jesus goes with Jairus, but so does this large crowd. So this big entourage starts, starts walking toward Jairus' house. 
And the crowd is pressing in around him. And if you would read the story out of, out of the, the book of Luke, the same story, you would, Luke actually describes it as the crowds were so big that they were crushing in on them. Big, crushing crowds. So let's keep going and, and we'll go to verse 25. We'll start in verse 25. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. And when she had heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from suffering. So as this crowd is walking to Jairus' house, Mark gives us a lot of details about what happened. And there's this woman who had had a, a bleeding problem for 12 years. And she had suffered a great deal because of this, this uh, malady. She had gone to many doctors and spent all of her money trying to get this, this situation resolved. But instead of of this continuous flow of blood getting better, it gets worse and worse and worse. And if, if, if that wasn't bad enough, as a Jew, there were these Levitical laws that, that uh, people who struggled with a continuous blood flow were, were put under, well, they were put under some, some tough situations they had to navigate through. She would not have been allowed to worship in the synagogue Matter of fact, she wouldn't have been allowed to even touch people without making them unclean because according to the Levitical law, she would have been unclean. If you would, if you would read in Leviticus 15, you can find the, the details, and they're really specific, and they're, they're really um, hard, hard to even wrestle with what she would have to go through. It wasn't pretty. She actually had to sneak through the crowd hoping to, to be unnoticed, and if she was noticed, at the very least she would have been shunned and thrown out or publicly humiliated or even potentially worse, she could have been stoned. It was a risky thing for her to press in and to touch, to touch Jesus' clothes. But Mark says that when she heard about Jesus, defying all those odds, she sneaks up through this crowd behind him, behind Jesus, not even in front of him, and she touches his clothes. She did it because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Isn't that amazing too? I mean, to have that kind of, of trust that Jesus could overcome this disease just by touching her clothes. Think about it. Just like Jairus, she shows no doubt in what Jesus is capable of of doing, even without saying a word to him, in secrecy, and immediately upon touching Jesus' clothes, her bleeding stops, and she actually feels in her body this healing power. She feels the bleeding stop. And Mark says she realized she was free from her suffering. She was free. Let's look at, at continuing the story in verse 30. Well, at once, Jesus realized that power had gone out for him, from him. He turned around in the crowd and he asked, 
Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding around you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell, fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he, Jesus, said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. So immediately Jesus realizes that this power has gone out from him. And he turns, he turns around and he doesn't say, who touched me? He says, who touched my clothes? Who touched my clothes? And the disciples actually find this comical. The crowd's pressing in on around. And you want to know who touched your clothes? Ha, ha, ha. Ha, ha, Jesus. Very, very funny. But Jesus continues to scan the crowd to find out who touched his clothes. Which brings this woman trembling with fear falling at his feet. She's been caught. She's unclean. She's pushed the envelope with Jesus in this massive crowd of people. Fear grips her so much that she's shaking. She's shaking and she tells the whole story, which is probably why we have so many of the details. Jesus shows great compassion and grace. So Jesus, instead of pummeling her for for what's going on, he shows this compassion, this grace. He never mentions this uncleanliness which would have been what the Jewish leaders and the others would have done. But he actually calls this lady daughter. Daughter. It's a, personal, it's a personal address that shows the love of a father to a child. And then he tells her this. Your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. The woman comes in secrecy, trying to be unnoticed, without saying a word. But she ended up telling her whole story to this massive crowd. What a contrast. And Jesus' response shows value. It shows importance to this lady who would have been shunned by the crowd. But in the meantime, there's this guy standing there named Jairus. What do you think he would have been doing? Uh, Jesus, um, my daughter. And this whole thing, who knows how long this whole process would have taken, an hour, maybe longer. And this whole time, Jairus is standing there. And his biggest fear is about ready to come true. Verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? But ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, just believe. And he, he, Jesus, didn't let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. And he went in and he said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child's not dead, but asleep. And they laugh at him. And after he put them all out, he took the child's father and the mother and the disciples who were with him, and he went in where the child was. He took her by the hand, and he said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. 
And immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. And at this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. And he told them to give her something to eat. Jairus, your daughter's dead. You don't need to bother the teacher anymore. And Jesus interrupts. He interrupts. Don't be afraid, Jairus. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Jesus then makes the crowd and nine of the disciples uh, stay there and doesn't allow them to follow. It would be interesting to see how he did that. But he, he separates them and then he takes Peter, James, and John and, and Jairus and he continues to the house where Jairus' daughter is lying deceased. And she's been dead long enough that the professional mourners had already been hired, which was part of the Jewish requirements of a funeral. And Jesus goes in and he stirs things up by announcing that she's not really dead, she's just asleep. They are shocked, they laugh at him, and then Jesus personally makes them leave. And he takes Jairus, Jairus' wife, the three disciples, and he heads to where the child was lying. And he takes this little 12-year-old girl by the hand and he says, Little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately she gets up and begins to walk around. Those in the room are astonished. It's actually the first known account of Jesus raising someone of the dead, from the dead, unheard of. And, and a delay for Jairus, which seemed so painful and so hopeless, actually led to his daughter being the first person raised from the dead by Jesus. And then Jesus gives them strict orders uh, to the parents not to let anyone know about what's happened, as if that was going to stay unknown. And he tells them to quit staring and give her something to eat. Wow, two amazing, two amazing stories about one day in the life of Jesus. So after reading through these passages, where do you see yourself? That was my challenge to you before we started. Where do you see yourself in the stories? Are you like these two new heroes, Jairus or the woman with the, with the issue of blood? Do you resonate with the ones who, who laugh at Jesus? Are you like the crowd who was just observing from a distance? Are you like the ones who only got to hear about what happened because you had been asked to step away. Who do you reson resonate with? Think about what we just heard. Neither the woman with the issue of the blood or Jesus even ever said a word before God healed her. Jesus didn't even know who he healed. God's full humanity and his full deity on display in a mysterious way. And the woman actually never even touched Jesus. She didn't even touch him. She just touched his, his garments. Jesus' healing power and his authority over an incurable malady flows from him through his clothes into her fingertips, up through her arms and into her disease and brings healing. Instant healing. Healing that was so strong that she could immediately determine that her blood had stopped flowing and that she was freed from her suffering. And Jesus knew that the healing had flowed also. 
And then you have Jairus, Jairus who, who had risked being outcast by his religious associates who'd already called Jesus Satan. They had labeled him the same as devil. And they were plotting on how they were going to get rid of him and ultimately how they were going to have him killed. But Jairus was desperate. His little daughter was dying and Jesus was the only hope he had of seeing her set free. He risked his reputation and his future for his daughter. Why? Why would both of these people be willing to take such an enormous risk? Why? I think there, there are really two things that it boils down to as I've wrestled through this. They, they saw Jesus and they believed that he actually could heal what was going on. They recognized that he had authority over sickness. They recognized that he had the ability to set them free. They saw Jesus and they believed. And the second thing I think is true is they are so desperate for a miracle that they're willing to lay down everything to risk it all to get the help that they needed. And so they step out in faith to Jesus in boldness and in tenacity. I love... uh, the book of Hebrews. I read it a lot. And one of my favorite verses in the book of Hebrews is Hebrews eleven six, And it goes like this. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. If you would have been the woman or if you would have been Jairus, would you have been so bold? and trustworthy of Jesus to earnestly seek him like they did. Are you, like me, really thankful, intrigued with this story, but unnerved by it all? Nice for them, but would this really ever happen for me? There tends to be an uneasiness, I believe, in our circles when it comes to the subject of of faith and healing. It's easier just to avoid it, to pretend that We don't have to deal with it. There's this tension of how much do we ask for in prayer? We want to be people of prayer, but do we we ask for a miracle or do we just not step out there? Well, Jairus and the woman with the issue of blood were desperate, and they stepped out in faith, and Jesus healed them. It's, It's that simple, and it's that complicated at the same at the same time. The woman risked public humiliation for being unclean. She pushed through this crowd. She actually caused untold numbers of crowd participants who who brushed up against her to be unclean. She couldn't reveal who she was or what her problem was. She had to sneak up through the crowd in hopes of making the touch. She was broke. She was ostracized. She couldn't worship publicly. She was in constant suffering. She was utterly hopeless of ever having a normal life again. All those people crowding around, around Jesus, even crushing him at times. All the people touching him, even crushing, crushing around him. And yet, one touch of his clothes garnered a miracle. She didn't say a word. Jesus didn't say a word. Until the miracle had already happened. Incredible, mysterious miraculous. And Jesus didn't chastise her. He lifted her up. He encouraged her. He didn't focus on her 
uncleanliness, her lack of being everything she could have been, he called her daughter. He commended her on her faith. Your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. She got her miracle. She was set free. And and Jairus, in contrast, he came publicly begging Jesus on his knees, pleading earnestly. He would have been a wealthy man, but his money couldn't buy him what he needed so desperately, and that was his daughter to not die. He was willing to risk his reputation, his occupation with these religious leaders who weren't so keen on Jesus in order to see his daughter healed. How did he even know Jesus had the authority to heal? Did he see Jesus do healings before? Of the stories that we've read about in the last months, did he get to see some of those? We don't really know. But we know he was desperate enough to push through and risk it all. To ask Jesus to come to his house, touch his daughter, and to heal her. Amazing. Well, at the beginning of of my message, I mentioned the fact that my little sister had died when I came back from from college. And about six months after she she had died, uh, I was still wrestling with God. I knew I needed to push closer, closer to Jesus, but... As I mentioned, to be honest with you, I just didn't know how to to navigate through all that. I I had to be honest with myself, and I just didn't trust God. I didn't understand why he didn't respond or or even seem to care. And that's that's when I believe God gave me some clarity on all this. And I want to share with you what I, I believe God shared with me. It's given me hope that I can trust him. It's given me peace that I can rest in knowing that he is in control. And finally, it's given me a sense of joy to know that, that what Jesus did on the cross by taking our brokenness, our sin, and by overcoming death, by what he's provided for us through the resurrection of Jesus. So here's what happened. I was at the Indianapolis 500 parade of all places. So every year, the Indianapolis 500, big, big car race. There was one here in town last night. Uh, an indie car race. In the Indianapolis 500 is supposedly the largest sporting spectacle in the world every year. And they have this parade beforehand where they, they, they um, have all the different floats that you expect in a big parade, but the drivers and celebrities and all sorts of craziness in this parade. And so, so we went to this parade in downtown Indianapolis. And I was standing on the sidewalk with thousands of others all around me, uh, barely enough room to move, there were skyscrapers jutting up all around uh, in all directions. And the parade was several miles long, but I could only see what was directly in front of me because of the skyscrapers and the bleachers that were set up and, and the thousands of peoples that were, people that were around me. I couldn't see what was coming next in the parade. I couldn't see what had already passed me, and I could only see what was directly in front of me. Or if I looked up, I could see like a, a, a square of, of blue sky. I could, I could see the float or the indie car or the celebrity in front of me, but, but that was it. And as I looked up, I saw a helicopter kind of go through above us in the sky, and, and I had this thought, those people in the helicopter, they can, they can see everything. They can see the length of the parade. They can see what's coming next. They can see where the front of the parade was. They could see how much longer until the end of the parade. They could even see the weather that was coming in. And that's, that's when I believe God spoke to me very clearly. 
not in an audible voice, but, but I feel like he, he impressed upon me this. Don, you see a very small part of this parade. The helicopter sees the whole parade. You are limited in what you can see, but there's a lot more going on that you cannot see. Your sister's life is just like this parade. You can only see what's directly in front of you. Death, pain, hurt, loss, sadness. But I see the future. I see the what would have been if she would have stayed. I see the whole picture. If you saw what I see, you would understand. But you have to trust me. I am doing best because I love your sister and I love you and I love your parents and I love your brother. Trust me with the whole parade. Trust me with the whole parade. When that realization hit me, it set me free. It really did. I no longer struggled to to pray. I had this sense of trust. I just needed to know that, that God had a plan and I could trust him with it. And, and after that, I, I, it set me free. It set me free to be bold and just to trust God with, with all of this stuff. I think, I think that what Jairus said uh, or what Jesus said to Jairus is the same thing I feel like God said to me in the midst of this thing. Don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid, just believe. So... So where do we go with all of this? Think about this. A massive crowd of people, so big that they're crushing in on Jesus. Only two people, only two people got a miracle out of that massive crowd. And they were the ones who approached Jesus in faith. They trusted that he had authority to bring their miracle. And, and here's, here's what they did. I, I have three things I think that they did that I think apply to us too. Here they are. Number one, they pursued Jesus. They pursued Jesus. They pursued Jesus. They pressed in. They had to go past the comfortable. They pursued Jesus and they knew that he had the authority to intervene. Number two, they believed that Jesus could take care of their need. They actually thought that he could do something about it. And then number three, they didn't really care what others said. They pressed past what others would say about them. And I think our approach should be similar. Pursue Jesus, number one. Knowing that Jesus has the authority to intervene. Number two, trust that Jesus will take care of our need. Trust that Jesus will take care of our need. We walk by faith, not by sight, right? We walk by faith and not by sight. And three, does it really matter what others will say? Tenacious, tenacious faith. That's why the story unnerves me. (laughs) What about you guys? Does it? unnerve you a little too? Jairus and the woman modeled the kind of faith that Jesus responded to. Oh, may we live like that. 
God help us. And in closing, if there's anything I want you to get out of all this, it's that Jesus is for you. Our circumstances and the enemy pound on us constantly and push us into a situation where we we begin to do the very thing that Adam and Eve did at the beginning. We don't trust that what God says is true. Jesus is for you. We easily forget that God is for us and not against us. And so, run to Jesus tenaciously. He's the only long-lasting, eternal answer to any of our issues. Eventually, we're going to leave this earth, all of us. And he is the only hope that we have to overcome that. So when in doubt, run to Jesus because Jesus sees the whole parade. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Let's pray. Lord, uh, gosh, there's so much in this. Lord, I know that that you've promised that your word will not come back void. And God, uh, we've had to wrestle with, with this this morning. Lord, I ask that you would help us to, to not really care what others think, to recognize your authority over everything, including death, and God, to run, to run to you in pursuit. Thank you for your word, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.